Hey everybody, this is Brian Brodeur, and I am happy to have actor, producer, writer Alex Aldea sitting in, guest hosting for me for a few sessions. He'll have some great conversations with creative professionals and independent film luminaries, so take it away, Alex. Hi everyone, this is Alex Aldea, guest hosting for the East Main Media podcast series, and I have with us today a fabulous actor, Michael McGlone. Thank you for joining us. Of course, Alex. It's my pleasure, man. And I was watching a little Kenny the Gun, which we'll get into later on, and I was I laughing, laughing my ass off. It was absolutely... May I incredible. know what you were watching today? Well, so I was watching Gun Nuggets, because you gotta. And, oh, uh, fabulous. <laughs> and, uh, and also how you recognize an asshole by telling him he's an asshole. Yes, you have to identify them to themselves, because some of them don't realize... That, that they, they are. are this. So, yes. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And so you helpfully guide them to this <laughs> wisdom and they can potentially improve themselves going forward. So we're going to talk about Kenny in a little bit, but I want to start out with you've been in this business a while and you were kind enough when I was in L.A. to give me a little bit of your time and grab a little coffee and you gave me mm. some background on, on yourself, who you are as an actor, a bunch of the projects you're looking to get into. And you were also kind enough to take me up on my offer to come and see Affairs of State, which was down at the Egyptian there, and right. I think that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Could you let the audience know a little bit about, about you, your background, how you got started in this wacky entertainment industry? Well, I'll tell you, man, I came to New York after self-graduation from college. Mm -hmm. I decided that one year was all I needed of <laughs> that institution, and I moved on to for me, greener pastures. And those were in New York City. I was living on the Upper West Side, and I was scouring backstage, which is now an online resource. It was then a tangible paper that would come out every Wednesday. And for those as yet unaccounted for or only barely accounted for entertainers and performers on the rise. It was a great resource. Mm -hmm. So I would look for opportunities there. And there was one that I found called the McMullen Brothers. And I threw in a headshot because I thought this is an independent film about three Irish American brothers. Based on my name alone, I think I'm probably going to get some attention on this. You're shooing. And <laughs> one thing led to another. And... We made a film that was then retitled The Brothers McMullen. Mm -hmm. It went to Sundance. It won the festival, the Grand Jury Prize, and created a career for a number of people in the movie. Connie Britton, Eddie Burns, and myself. Jack Mulcahy as well. And yes. Jack Mulcahy. Jack Mulcahy had some establishment, though, before Brothers. The others of us were completely complete unknowns or relative unknowns. Mm -hmm. But Jack was the only actor in the movie who had credits that had any uh, notability to that time. He was one of the actors in Porky's, and I think he had some <laughs> others as well. But yes, but he, he also was with us on the movie. So that was the jettison off the deck. And I have to ask, because my friend C.J. Cullen, who owns Brightside Film Festival and Hang On To Your Shorts, which is another film festival here in New Jersey, which is going to debut in Asbury Park in a couple of months. He is a huge fan of the Brothers McMullen. Oh, 
thank you, and I, <laughs> I look forward to meeting him if that's ever possible. Sure, and he's actually a friend of Jack's, and they know each other quite well. In fact, I think Jack is being honored at this year's Hang On To Your Shorts, if I'm not mistaken. And I may try to grab Jack for the podcast as well and ask him this question. Did you guys ever think about a part two of that? I know there was a prequel in the works at one point, and there was some kind of reunion on a different show that was planned. I only heard faint whisperings of a prequel. Mm -hmm. I, I might even be confusing that with something else. I was aware that there were designs on a potential sequel, mm -hmm. and you know, as you can probably understand, there are a number of different things that have to fall into place for anything like that to happen, sure. and I'm just assuming that those metrics didn't line up, and if it's going to happen on hold for now. But there, <laughs> there was some intention of at least looking at how that would work and if it could work in recent years. But you'd be into it probably if that was... Uh... Oh my goodness, I think it would be fabulous. <laughs> and I would imagine that Eddie would write the script and so, you know, his words to me are manna from oh, wow. heaven in many ways. So I would definitely be involved. Sure. If I could ask you, just because you have such a wealth of knowledge in acting, what's the biggest lesson you think you've learned in this acting industry? Keep your mind on the joy of doing what you love, the purity of the playfulness and the goodness and the happiness that you have in acting. It is something that I identify with a great deal of pleasure. Even if I am performing something painful, I'm having a deeply pleasurable experience simultaneously of going into a mode that is extraordinarily enjoyable. No matter what's happening, I could be playing an insane serial killer mm -hmm. and I'm having a ball on some level doing it. Sure. And it is something that can... I feel the interfered with when you focus too much on externals and I'm actually, even though fame is a metaphysical concept, I do look at that as an external because it's not real and people put a lot on it, making it almost a tangible entity. And when you're focused on pursuing that and money and a lot of things that don't have to do with the reason fundamentally that you first got involved, which was pure joy and the desire for others to notice you and admire you in a healthy way. I don't mean in a, a tabloidal way. I mean that <laughs> an actor has a desire to be noticed that is, that is very strong. Any performer does. And it's healthy and it's good. And it can have some darker effects if it moves into a more fearful strictly egotistical place, but if it's kept pure and you're, you keep it real with yourself that you're doing this for uh, joyful reasons, for good reasons, and you stay connected to the foundation of happiness that brought you here, then I believe you'll have a better chance of avoiding some of the pitfalls that can come with it, which are focusing only on your ego, focusing only on how much fame you've achieved or how much money you have or someone else's opinion of you. And you can also easily lose focus on other people when you're so focused on those things. As an actor, you have the ability to bring other people joy as well. 
you can make them laugh, you can make them think, you can move them, you can make them cry. And that is something that has a great value to many people. A lot of people go to entertainment to be relieved of things that are concerning them. And as an actor who is powerful and gifted, you can assist them. So to keep the joy in the forefront of your thoughts, the, the fundamental good reason that you do it, and also the service that you can be to others mm -hmm. will keep things centered. That's amazing. And I, I want to talk about centeredness a little bit more because I know yoga is a big part of your regimen and, mm -hmm. in, and a lot of other things, and we'll, we'll definitely get into. We'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. Visit jlc-accounting.com. And by Tap Into TV, original video programming covering topics of interest in New Jersey, New York, and beyond. Visit tapintotv.net. There's something that cropped up for me in my mind when we sat down for coffee and you were kind enough to look at my reel and give me some pointers. And one of the things you said was you do light very well, but when you get into the darker characters, you should think about pulling things out of yourself or I don't remember the exact words you used, but the impression I got left with was really tap into a piece of yourself that is that and kind of bring more of that to the screen. That's and right. So I wanted to ask you, how do you prepare? Like you brought up the serial killer idea just as an idea. But, you know, if you're a mobster or somebody who's like a, a tougher guy, maybe not necessarily Kenny because Kenny has a, a more comedic side to him. But let's say he's a generally darker character. How do you go about preparing for that? Could you talk a little bit about your process? Absolutely. I'm a traditionalist in many ways. Mm -hmm. And so the script is always first. I'll always be focusing initially most substantially on learning the lines. If it's not an improvisationally based project, then that is what I'll be doing. I'll be scouring the script and learning my lines, getting the beats, and finding where certain opportunities to express the truth of the character are existent in the script. After that, mastery of the language and the memorization of the language, then there's the explorative process of the deeper analysis of what is inside the words and what is either one or two or three or four levels beneath the words. So you have a line that on surface is very funny. And then it also serves the purpose of showing you that he's making a joke because he's in a great deal of pain. And to know that, you have the currency of the knowledge of how you can potentially express that also simultaneously. And so it's the script and then the exploration of what is under the script and between the lines of the script. And then there's something that I discovered more substantially only later in my career, and that was when I'm playing a character that I feel can benefit from the analysis of another human being, be it a serial killer, those are fascinating examples, mm. or a cop, or a lawyer, etc. to look at 
footage of people in these circumstances, to look at people being interviewed, to look at people in their cars, and I, I'm not advocating stalking, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying to be observing the world around you, either through video or when you are in your you know pedestrian life. Sure. And I have found that it's actually something I was probably doing less consciously earlier on because all actors are mimics on some level in the beginning. It's just how we learn. You see something that you think is interesting or funny or fun, a teacher, you know, an animal, and you emulate it. And it's glorious and it's fun and you can make people laugh. I did that in school. And I find that it's something that you can take even further so it's not you're not necessarily imitating when you're doing a more advanced treatment of this, though you are taking things from what seems to be another experience. Fundamentally, it's your experience, too, because you're a human being who is empathetic, mm-hmm. though it seems foreign to you to the moment that you see it and you see it. And then you realize, oh, there is an analog. And that's what I was talking to you about, where the light seemed to be very, very masterful. And Mm -hmm. then I wondered, where is that darkness for you? And you and I were talking about that. And to find the analog of that darkness or that light in you that to that time perhaps you were not aware of or you were afraid of. You didn't want to go to that place because that seems like there's too much self-knowledge there. I don't want to know that about myself or I don't (laughs) feel comfortable acting in that way for any number of reasons, societal or your own egotistical imposition of that's wrong or, you know, any, any number of things that, that are not truthful. They're not necessarily lying because you're coming from a place of, you know, psychological resistance, but they are not truthful. Mm-hmm. The truth is that you are all of those things, whether you like it or not, you're a human being. And that entails a whole mosaic of capacity to act and people who want to deny that they don't have certain characteristics or certain leanings or certain tendencies, I believe are doing themselves an injustice. When I can look at my full composite of qualities, I know that I can reach more people because when I see that I understand brutality I can reach someone who is giving into brutality in a heinous way and potentially be a greater service to stopping that because I understand it. I'm not stopped and saying, no, that's wrong. And I don't understand that. And it's, and you're wrong. It's that we're in this together and I understand it. I understand that need. I understand that, that disgrace. And I want to assist in it. And the best assistance that I've been able to be is to look at all of the things that I'm capable of, any conversation or any encounter, and be of service to other people in that way. And that's for the positive, too, because I was given a great gift of loving other people and giving to other people. And I love it. I love to love. I love to be loved. I love to give and to share. And I want people to see that. And I want them to feel that. And I want them to know they're important. And so that's also something, you know, it's not only the negative side of things that you empathize with, but it's also the positive to love yourself and to help that be the way that you love other people. 
it's fascinating to me because I knew you from your work before I met the person. So initially, and I'm thinking back to some of the stuff that you've done on TV, for instance, Person of Interest, where you played a police detective, elementary law and order SVU and such. But specifically in Psych, you played a guy named Mitch Murray, which, which, is, which, is, a, which is a callback to Glengarry Glenn Ross, Mitchell and Murray, which uh, you know Alec Baldwin comes in and says, I'm on a mission of mercy for Mitch and Murray. That, I think, was the progenitor of Kennedy the Gun, I think. At least I saw a lot of parallels between those two characters for me. I, I think that's marvelous and, and insightful, though I will say only benevolently that it's not accurate in that I wrote Kenny. Kenny had been created for a number of years before Mitch Murray was gifted to me. Got it. I see the accuracy of it in that I can see how someone would look at that and think that. And think some Even commonalities were present. I don't necessarily present. see right. that. Right. Yeah, right. I don't see it myself, mm-hmm. but I, I'd love that you see it. I think it's fabulous <laughs> that you see it. I look at it and I think, oh my goodness, that's so interesting because that's not how I would place him. But but your imagination is telling you something different, and that's marvelous to me. <laughs> and and I'd like to know more about that in, in a moment. But sure. it's, yeah, it was please. not in, it was not a launch for Kenny. Kenny had already existed, and Mitch was written by two producers on that show with me in mind. And wow. it was a great pleasure to play. If anything, I feel like Mitch was closer to Francis Fitzpatrick, frankly, than Kenny. And I'll tell you why. Because Mitch is all about himself, Mm -hmm. fundamentally. Right. And how he feels and what he thinks and how he's going to succeed and his own feelings. Kenny is not that way. Kenny is not a self-centric character. He has much more outreach He's a cop who actually believes in being of service to the community. Not that many cops don't, but there are, of course, different experiences on the force. Mm -hmm. And Kenny has a virtue about being a service to the community that is directly connected to the reason that he is a detective and a protector, a civic servant. Mitch is definitely not that. Though he's a colorful guy, and they are... They're both embodied in a very physical way, mm-hmm. in a very athletic way. And I think perhaps the power of that in the two of them created maybe an analog for you. I'm, I'm not looking to put words in your mouth. I'm, I'm just theorizing. <laughs> no, it's fascinating. I appreciate the insight from that back end, obviously you being the one who is the master of both. But uh, uh, Well, thank you. The reason that came up for me was I, I saw in Kenny a... He does things, but he does things in his own way, and I'm sure is an altruism there that isn't present in Mitch's character, for instance. But you're very right about the uniqueness of the delivery of the two of them. (laughs) It's unique. It is definitely unique. Their character is more what I was focusing on, the differences there. But you're absolutely right. The uniqueness with which they show themselves to the world is, even if different in certain ways, equal in its noticeability. And a great big thank you to Alex Aldea for sitting in guest hosting for me on the East Main podcast. Stay tuned next week for part two of his conversation. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of East Main Media. Special thanks to audio engineer J.P. Conk and senior producer Kayla Galka. If you enjoyed this podcast, 
please subscribe and leave us a good rating. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com. And thanks for listening.